If you have a Bible today, let's open up to the book of Revelation. As we continue our journey through the Bible, uh, today we're going to go through this chapter, which I think at the end of the day, what God is trying to say is, I want the whole wide world to be saved. You know, uh, the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so we're going to see today, first of all, that God uh, sets apart 144,000 Jews. Uh, we saw them first time in Revelation chapter 7, 12,000 from the 12 tribes. And these are 144,000 Jews that God is going to use to proselytize the earth. And so um, think about it, 144,000 Paul the Apostles, man set loose on planet earth. And what does that tell you? That, that tells you that God wants people to get saved as he's setting out his preachers. And then after the 144,000, we're going to see there are going to be three angels. Three angels that think about it, God sends to circle the earth. The first angel is going to be preaching the everlasting gospel. And uh, he tells everybody, hey man, have faith and fear God. Think about it. If you can visualize it just for a second, an angel circling the globe, preaching the gospel. How awesome is that? The second angel tells the whole wide world that Babylon is falling and Babylon is symbolic of the commercial world, that's worldliness, it's, com it's symbolic of the world religion, um, the false world religions, and all that's going to fall, and so you want to make sure you don't, you're not a part of that. And then the third thing we're going to see, after the 144,000, after the three angels, we're going to see the two harvests. And the first harvest is the rapture, which is the next event on the church calendar, how God's going to take up his church. And then the second harvest, in essence, is the way that God separates the sheep from the goats and how some go to heaven and some go to hell. And you're like, well, why would God talk about that? Hell, it's such an ugly thing. And the reason why God talks about that is because he does not want anyone to go there. So you better make sure you better make sure that you're sure. You got to know that you know the Lord. Because one thing we've learned in life is that none of us have tomorrow guaranteed. And if the Lord were to come today, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? And I pray that you would. And I pray that today's study will be a source of encouragement. So first we read in Revelation 14 in verse 1. It says, Then I looked, and so John looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. And they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And so first, uh, we see here the personal worship of the 144,000. The first thing that we see here, it's kind of cool the way John has just given it to us, the way he sees and the things that he hears. And he sees the Lamb. Of course, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees him standing there on Mount Zion. 
Here we see John giving us the vision. And it's interesting, a couple of things we don't know for sure, but just the fact that Jesus is standing might be significant because the Lord said to Jesus, God said, the Father, sit at my right hand until your enemies become your footstool. So Jesus, in essence, is kind of like sitting at the, the, the Father's right hand until the time comes for him to get the kingdom. And so maybe he's standing because it's time. It's time. You guys, and I know we're living in a world where we're very concerned as far as who our leaders are. And supposedly, I mean, I think it's a good thing, of course. Um, but ultimately, we know that the one we look for is the king of kings, Jesus Christ. And one day he'll stand and then he'll sit there on his throne in Jerusalem. And so we look forward to that day, right? Uh, another reason he might be standing is because now he's kind of in the vicinity of the 144,000. You might remember when Stephen died that the Lord Jesus stood to receive him. And so maybe that's why he's standing. We're not sure. All we know is that John sees the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He sees him standing there on Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion was a hill in Jerusalem. Eventually, it became synonymous with the city of God. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 12, verse 22, it says just that, that that city is a city of God. And so Mount Zion, the city where one day we'll live, it's the mountain of God. There is Jesus standing. John sees it. And then John hears this voice. It sounds like a waterfall. It's like this, man, amazing rivers or waves or whatever that might be and this thunder. And, and at first you might think, well, that's got to be the voice of God. He hears this voice. It's probably the voice of God. But it's interesting when you look at the context and you read Revelation 19, verse 6, there he says, I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And so there you see in, in Revelation 19, the church, you see God's people, their voice sounds like those many waters, their voice sounds like thunder. And when you put really everything together that's what's going on at this point you have 144,000 there Jesus is standing on Mount Zion and John hears this amazing amazing worship and it just blows his mind you know and that's going to be very important as we go through our study today we see the personal worship of the 144 now it's interesting notice again what we read i looked he says in verse one and behold a lamb standing on mount zion and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads now in revelation 7 it says they were sealed now we know exactly what that seal consisted of it's the seal of ownership it's the, it's the father's name right there on their forehead now when something's on your forehead it's very easy to see right have you ever had a pimple on your forehead and you're like man everyone's gonna see it what can you do right but here plastala right there is the name of the father they belong to him right and john sees this in verse 2 and then i heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder and i heard the sound of harpists playing their harps now perhaps it is you know like the the mellow harp that we you know we see or we whatever and, you know times like that the harp is a beautiful instrument 
but John didn't know what guitars looked like, so I'm pretty sure there were guitars there. And if you think about it, a piano is just a harp laying down. So I'll bet you almost anything that there, there was this amazing, amazing worship of voices and music. Imagine how beautiful it, it must have been. You know, like, like, like Randy was saying, you know, it's so cool to have the worship team. We have three worship teams. They're, they're all amazing to me. Um, but now they're all, you know, out. And so today we had the videos. But like Randy said, and I feel the same way, that was awesome. I love to worship. It is so powerful. I even told the sound guy earlier, I'm going to bump it up, bro. I want to feel that bass, you know. And imagine what it's going to be like in heaven. You know, you've got these voices. You've got the harpists. But notice what it says right here. It says here in verse 4 that, um, I'm sorry, verse 3, they sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. And so you're like, well, wait a minute. What, what does that mean? I mean, how is it that only they could sing that song how come the other people couldn't learn that song and and the reason is because the other people didn't go through what the 144,000 went through and 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 other people won't go through what you go through and you won't go through what they have gone through we all have this personal experience with god and that's why some songs man when you're listening to the lyrics and you're like man that's exactly what i'm going through it, it becomes that type of song to you and so these 144,000 this is an expression of worship that is unique to their own lives and if you think about it for a second imagine what it would must have been like being uh, one of the 144,000 Jews that were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. I mean, imagine what it's going to be like during the tribulation period. I mean, today, I don't know if you guys experienced it. Uh, the power went out in my, in my city where I live. Any of you guys experienced the power outage? A couple of you did. I mean, this morning the power went out. I couldn't blow dry my hair. It was just crazy, man. I'm serious. It was just different. You're trying to get ready. And so, you know, people are they're like, well, the tribulation period is no big deal, man. It's going to be crazy. There'll be, there'll be no power. You're like, well, I'll just call the phone. There'll be no cell phone service. Oh, Wi-Fi. I mean, life will be completely different. Where will be the police? You think you're going to get have food in, in the store? I mean, it's just going to be crazy. So imagine being one of these proselytes, these Jewish proselytes, during the tribulation period. Not just that kind of stuff. We're talking about darkness. We're talking about demons that, man, we have never even begun to experience. And they are there in the midst, in the thick of that tribulation. But as they go through, the Lord takes them through. You know, we get raptured out, but they go through it. Kind of like Noah was taken out of, I mean, I'm sorry, Enoch was taken out, but Noah went through the flood. Kind of like the book of Daniel chapter 3. Where was Daniel during that time? Undoubtedly, he was out in some country doing, you know, his work as an ambassador. And there were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, not willing to bow down to the image. So what happened to them? They were thrown into the fire. Some people are taken out while others are taken through. 
And so these ones that were taken through the tribulation, these ones that are taken into the fire, these ones that experience these horrible things that you can't even begin to imagine, what happens is they go through it, and, and the, the, the key is that they go through it with Jesus every step of the way. And so these guys have a song to sing that the others don't. You know, for us in going through this, I pray that we would understand that that's how we go through it. You know, we have to keep our eyes on the Lord. You know, Job, that's exactly what he said after everything that happened to him. He said, naked I was born, naked I'm going to leave. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he worshiped. You know, these guys that go through that tribulation, we see the first thing about them is that they worship. You know, they worship not just with their lips. It's interesting the way that they worship with their lives. Look again, if you would, at verse 4. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And so, you know, I believe that the big picture is really God just sharing with us how much he loves the world and how he doesn't want them to go to hell. He doesn't want them to perish. And so he's got 144,000. He's got three angels. He's got two harvests. All of that to warn us. But in, as we're going through this, we get to learn from them. I want to be like the 144,000. I won't go through the great tribulation, but I will go through tribulation. Jesus said that in John 16:33. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. And so we learn from that. Well, how did they do it? How were they able to come out singing, you know, songs that no one else could sing? How could that happen? And the answer is because of this. Because it wasn't just worship with their lips. It was worship with their lives. It says right there that they were pure. That they were pure. Now it says... They weren't defiled with women. More than likely, that's not to be taken literally as celibacy or, or sexually. More than likely, it's to be taken you know, spiritually and how we need to keep ourselves pure. You know, undoubtedly, that's what's going on there. A lot of it has to do with the next thing we read where it says, these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And so if you're taking notes about these guys, the first thing we see is their praise. The second thing we see is their purity. And the third thing we see is their path. What's the path that they walk? Well, the simple answer is they follow Jesus. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And that's the life of, for us as Christians, you guys. I, I tell you what, 19 times in the Gospels, Jesus simply said to everyone, follow me, follow me, follow me. How do you summarize? What's the synopsis of the Christian life? I just follow Jesus. You know, wherever he leads, it's there that I go. And when Jesus said, follow me, that meant two things. Number one, let me lead you through life. Follow me, even though it might sound like, you know, a crazy thing to do. This is where I want you to go. And then secondly, uh, not just follow me or walk where I walk, but walk like me. And so the, the reason they're able to go through the tribulation period and come out like this on Mount Zion is because, man, the praise, the purity, the path, and then the produce. We read 
Again, in verse 4, it says, These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And so the praise, the purity, the path, and the produce being the firstfruits means they were the first of many who would be saved because it also speaks of service seen in the tribe of Levi. If you might remember the tribe of Levi in Israel, they were in one sense considered the the first fruits. They replaced the firstborn from every single family. They represented them. And what that meant is not only they were the first of many fruits to follow, but they themselves were set apart unto the service of the Lord. And so that's what the 144,000 did. They served the Lord. And I tell you what, because of that, and it's so, so cool to see what we read next in verse 5, and in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And that right there, to be honest, man, that's the most important thing. What will we be like? What's going to happen? What will be the final sentence, so to speak, when we stand before the Lord? These guys were able to stand before the throne of God without any flaw, without any fault. And of course we know that's because of the fact that they placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Jude chapter 1 and verse 24, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, there it is, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You know, I know we fall short. I know we all sin. Uh, some of you guys uh, may be worse than others. I myself might be the chief of all sinners. I think I would identify with Paul the Apostle. Not necessarily that I'm getting high or getting drunk or you know, running and chewing and all that kind of stuff that's not good. I mean, it's nothing like that. But it's because the, the more you know, the more you're accountable. Imagine me as a pastor and all the people that pray for me. And if I blow it, I mean, my sins might be greater than yours. And so what hope do I have when I stand before God? And the simple answer is that I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died on a cross for my sins. I believe that he rose again. I believe in the gospel. It says, Manny, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he washes away all your sins. And one day, when you do stand before him, you will be faultless. There will be no sin. God will see no sin. And you know, for a lot of us here, we don't know how we're going to die. We don't know for sure if we're going to get raptured up. If we get raptured up, it can happen at any moment. You know, if, you, if, you, if it happens unexpectedly, you don't have time to think about it. But what if something happens? What if you're there one day, you're at death's bed, and you know, you're in the hospital, and you know, like, man, tomorrow might be the day, or next week might be the day, and who knows? You know, for some people, they're really afraid. But well, we don't have to be afraid when we place our faith in Christ. It says right here that they are without fall before the throne of God. And I, and I pray, you guys, that if you're there one day, and I don't know for sure, I mean, my, I kind of hope that the Lord comes before then, but I'm just saying if you're there one day that you will have a perfect, beautiful peace because you're washed in the blood of the Lamb. You see, we, we learn from the 144,000 uh, a lot of different things. But then as we continue through Revelation 14, we have these three angels. After the personal worship of the 144,000, we see the public warnings of three angels. Look at verse 6. 
He says, And then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. We're going to see... First, 144,000, we we learn from them a lot of different things. But then there's these three angels. And the first angel comes with this warning. He comes with this word of the everlasting gospel. Can you visualize that, you guys? Can you visualize an angel just flying around the whole world, every tribe, every tongue, every dialect, every nation, from what I understand, there's 6,500 languages on the earth that we want to get the gospel out one day to all the different people. We won't probably be able to meet that challenge as a church, but the angel will, God will. Why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? It's because he loves us. Because he's not willing that any should perish. And so the angel's going and he's preaching. And the cool thing about it is this is so simple. Aren't you glad that God didn't say, okay, in order for you to get to heaven, you need to do a thousand push-ups? Aren't you glad, you know, that the Lord didn't say something that, you know, so crazy, you've got to live a perfect life, whatever, for a week? We couldn't even do it for a day. But Jesus did it for us. And so the angel goes around the whole globe and he's preaching faith. You know, that the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3, is so simple. Jesus died for us, and he rose again, and you believe in him. That's all you got to do is believe in him. And you just have faith. That's why he's preaching the gospel. And he's just telling the whole world something that's so simple. The 144,000 are worshiping. Why don't you join him? Why don't you worship him? He's your creator. He made you. He made you. And then he redeemed you. Doesn't it make sense that we would worship God? And that's what the angel is saying. I I mean, just imagine how awesome that's going to be. That's the first angel. And and then you have the second angel there in verse 8. He's warning of the fall of Babylon. Another angel followed saying, Babylon is falling, fallen that great city because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication." And so, again, um, the first angel preaching the gospel, telling everybody, worship God. The second angel, again, he's uh, circling the globe. And I will say this, that there are some people who say the angel is a satellite, you know, and because of the satellite, we're able to get the word to everyone. I don't think so. Seventy times in the book of Revelation, we're talking about angels that get involved in this whole thing. No, we're talking about a literal angel who's circling the globe. This time what he's saying, however, is he's warning about the fall of Babylon. That that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. You know, the the fall of Babylon, you're like, well, why is that important to me? Why do I need to know that? Well, because Babylon is symbolic of all false religions. Genesis chapter 11, you might remember that's when it started. Remember the Tower of Babel? Remember when they, the Lord told them to scatter and they just didn't obey the Lord? Instead, they gathered together and they said, what we're going to do is we're going to build a tower and we're going to reach up to heaven. 
What is that symbolic of? It's symbolic of all the religions of the world. Every other religion other than the, the, the belief of Jesus Christ. Every single other one is based on works. You know, on your own goodness, on your own sacrament, on your own whatever sacrifice that you make, on your own obedience, whatever it might be. All other religions are based on that, that first one, Babel, as they're trying to earn their way to heaven. They're trying to go up to God. God says, no, it doesn't work that way. Man cannot go up to God. God has come down to man. And so what the angel is doing as he's circling the globe is he's just saying to the whole wide world, listen, if you're trusting in religion, you will never be saved. One day it'll fall. And for us it's very important because even in the church, sometimes you got people who don't have a personal relationship with God they only have a religion. You want to know how I know? One way that you can kind of set a litmus test of whether or not you have a relationship or whether or not you have a religion. When you have a relationship with someone, you talk to them. When you have a relationship with someone, they talk to you. And when you have a relationship with God, you want to study the Bible. When you have a relationship with God, you want to pray. You want to come to church and learn the Bible. That's a relationship, not a religion. You're like, well, man, you know, I went to church, you know, every Sunday. I went to the, the midweek study. I went to the men's study or whatever it might be, the women's study, the young adult study. Listen, that, that's, that, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that you know the Lord. Have you really given him your heart? Is there a, a relationship that's been established by faith? Because the angel is circling the globe. He's saying Babylon's fallen. Not only uh, the religious Babylon. But the commercial Babylon, when you read Revelation chapter 17 and 18, it talks about both of them falling. Now let me ask you a question. Babylon, that, that's a big city. Some say it literally is uh, referring to what's going on in Iraq and how Saddam Hussein you know, rebuilt Babylon and maybe there is a literal a fulfillment of it. But, but also, um, what was the Babylon of John's day? It was Rome. It was like the big country. It was like, you know, number one power. What's the Babylon of today? I wouldn't be surprised if it's us. Some say New York City. And some would look at it this way. When they talk about the religious Babylon and the commercial Babylon, is what happens a lot of times, even in the Christian life, is they get so caught up in this world, in what the world has to offer, in the dreams of the world, and, and God is trying to say, as you're so caught up in that, I want you to know one day it's all going to burn, it's all going to fall. How we need to be caught up in the kingdom of God. And so the angel's circling the globe and he's talking about the gospel and he's saying have faith and fear God. The other angel is circling the globe and he's talking about how Babylon is going to fall. And we'll talk more about that when we get to chapter 17 and 18. But then the third angel in verse 9, it says, The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night 
who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Now here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. And so the Lord gives us a heads up. He just says, okay, just want you guys to know this is ahead in the future. Uh, the first angel will circle the globe, preaching the gospel. The second angel will circle the globe, warning them that Babylon has fallen. And the third angel, what he's going to do is he's going to be circling the globe and he's going to be telling them, whatever you do, whatever you do, do not receive the mark of the beast. You know, for us as a church, and I'm thinking, okay, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, we're not going to be here. We won't be here. But this was written as a tribulation map as well for those who will be here. You know, I could be wrong. Maybe there's some of you here that don't really know the Lord and we're going to get raptured out and you're going to be left behind. You need to read this and you need to understand no matter what, no matter what, do not take the mark of the beast because God gives a heavy, heavy warning here that if you do, there is no hope for you. You know, I was talking last week about how in Syria today, here's a nation that's been in war for 10 years. Here's a nation where 500, half a million people have died in those 10 years from that war. There's so much going on, craziness in Syria. But if you want bread in Syria, you got to wait in line for six hours for bread. And it's just a little ration that they give to you depending on how many are in your family. If you want gasoline in Syria, you're going to have to wait, depending on where you are, up to six hours for gas. During the tribulation period, it's going to be very similar to things like that. And so you might be tempted. You're like, man, I, I want bread. I want tortillas. I mean, I want, you know, gas. I want this stuff. And all it is is a little chip underneath the, the, the hand skin right here, maybe on the forehead, maybe it's a mark. It makes perfect sense. They can track my kids, and all I have to do, boom, and just in case someone steals my credit card or my wallet, all I do is you'll scan it a little bit, and, you know, I can buy whatever I need. It makes perfect sense. But God says, no, don't take the mark. Whatever you do, don't take it. Because he talks right here, if you do, you'll end up forever and ever in torment and apart from God. Why is God saying this? Again, why is he saying this? Because... He loves you. You're like, man, whenever I go to Carrot Chapel on Monday, he always talks about hell. He always talks about stuff like that. Sin, judgment, damnation, whatever it might be. Whenever I go to church, I don't like it. You know, the interesting thing here, uh, look at verse uh, 10. It says, He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength. So basically what he's saying here is the wrath of God, the punishment of God is not watered down. So the messengers of God should not water down the message. And that's, uh, in Revelation 14, I mean, we learn from the 144,000, we learn from the three angels, 
But then we learn from the two harvests. Look at verse 14. Again, John says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now, the thing that you'll see often in the Bible is Jesus is riding the white clouds. That's, uh, that's pretty cool, huh? Do you guys think we'll be able to do that in heaven, riding some white clouds? I don't know for sure, but probably not. The clouds speak of the glory of God. And here's Jesus, and we see in verse 15, and another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And so he who sat on the cloud, he thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now the first uh, harvest that we read of right here is in reference to the rapture of the church. The, the first harvest has to do with grain. And so again, we've read about this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. You guys know this, right? Uh, the Bible talks about Enoch in Genesis chapter 5, how Enoch walked with God. He walked with God for 300 years. And that's all you have to do. That's the main thing that we do is just walk with God. And as you walk with God, it says, and he was not, for God took him. And there's the rapture of the church. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 and 51 tells you the same thing. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We're not all going to die. But we're all going to be changed in the blinking of an eye. In one eleventh of a second, boom, we're going to be taken up. And so here's something that the Lord's kind of been laying on my heart. You know, what if you're, you're, you're getting high when the Lord comes? What if you're getting drunk when the Lord comes? What if you're in consistent, persistent sexual sin when the Lord comes? I mean, what if, you know, and you name it, you have a certain tendency, whatever your, you know, Achilles tendon is, your sin that you struggle with, Listen, kill it. One of the things the Lord is showing me is, Manny, there's got to be righteousness, but there also has to be readiness. There's going to be this harvest. Boom, Jesus will do it, and then the rapture of the church happens. That's the first one. But then the second one is not of grain. It, the second one is described as grapes. In verse 17, And then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle and another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire and he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle saying thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe and so the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. And, and what God does right here is he, he tells us about the battle of Armageddon. And what we see, the, 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 the square mileage, uh, 185 square miles, it could be that it could be the length of Israel, or you can do the square miles. I personally believe in the square miles because when you go to Israel, and hopefully we do end up uh, going soon, 
you can look over the valley of Megiddo where the battle of Armageddon will take place and you're going to see that's exactly the square miles that he talks about right there where the blood is uh, it says up to the horse's bridle which is about four feet so either it's four solid feet of 185 square miles of blood and dead bodies or it's just that blood that's splattered up and what God says right there is that that second harvest is when Jesus comes back after the tribulation period. And you guys are going to see it in Revelation chapter 19. And he is coming. And what he does is he wipes out these people. He wipes out the earth. And then after that, we know he sets up his kingdom there in Jerusalem. And he will reign for a thousand years. And so again, I think the Lord here is sharing with us, this is one thing you don't want to be on the wrong side of. You know, what you want to do is you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things I've noticed about the Lord is not only does he give us heaven when we die, and ultimately that is the most important thing, but also I believe that he gives us a slice of heaven while we live. And you're like, well, Manny, how can you say that? We're, we're going through a pandemic. Manny, how can you say that? You don't know what I've gone through and how tough it's been lately. And all I know is that it passes understanding. I, I can't explain it, but I, I can tell you this, that when you get your eyes on the Lord, no matter what it is that you're going through, when you fix your eyes on the one who loved you and made you and watches over you and maintains you and is able to work all things together for good, you will see how he can take and make beauty from ashes. But the thing is, is you've got to get your eyes on the Lord. You know, if I could tell you one thing, that's what I would say. Because we're so, I was talking to a gal today and, you know, I was telling her how a long time ago, Pastor Rawl had challenged us all. He said, okay, this is what I challenge you to do. Take out a piece of paper and each day write down what you do every hour. Every hour. You do that for a week and then you look at that paper and then you're going to find out who your God is, Right? And so what we were saying when she was talking about that, she says, you know what, lately I've just been like on the news, like watching all the stuff that's going on and I'm watching television or YouTube. I want to be informed. And I said, it's okay to be informed or want to be informed to want to know what's up. But I said, you got to make sure that your first priority is seeking the Lord. That you can honestly say that you got your eyes on him. Are you in the Bible? Are you in prayer? Have you been going to church? Are, are you in fellowship with him? Do you have a heart to obey? What about service? Are you serving the Lord in any way? You know, those are things where we examine our hearts. And like that verse Randy shared earlier, it's one of my favorite verses in my whole life. You will keep him in perfect peace whose eyes are stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Not you will keep him in perfect peace, you know, who gets everything they want or whose life is hunky-dory. No, it's no matter what, I will lift my eyes to the Lord. And he will hold you. He will caress you. He will comfort you. He will strengthen you. He will speak to you. He will teach you. He will touch you. He will tell you why he made you. He will give you wisdom as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother, as a friend, as a son, as a, 
as a daughter, as a son, you name it. But it all starts in keeping your eyes on the Lord. The book of Revelation, it can be tough to go through sometimes because you read a lot about judgment. But in the end, let me ask you guys one last question in closing. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's where we have to make sure we go to.